Welcome to Calling All Stations for our regular look at the world of transport. I'm Christian Walmar in Italy, and with me is Mark Walker in Peterborough. Mark, I think we've got a lot on our plate today. Good uh, afternoon, Christian from Peterborough in the UK, and I hope you're having a wonderful time in Italy. Now, yes, we're going to make today's edition of Calling All Stations a special on the many aspects of reform and change that are, we're seeing in the railways in Great Britain at present. But we're starting off with something of an exclusive for Calling All Stations. Yes, indeed. And uh, I've been talking to a lot of people around the industry, as you know, and I come up with a rather remarkable story, which is that the Department for Transport wants to stop the train operators from providing Wi-Fi to passengers. I think I'll say that again. The Department for Transport actually wants to reduce the quality of the train service service by saying to passengers, sorry, you can't uh, access Wi-Fi via the train. You can only do it via your own devices. And of course, we all know that trains have tunnels, or rather uh, railways have tunnels, bridges, God knows what else, dark spots where the internet is very poor. Um, And yet uh, that's what the Department for Transport want to do. And I came across this story, talked to, to various people about it, and I got confirmation from the Department for Transport that in order to cut costs Uh, and save money, uh, they want to reduce this service and stop the train operators from providing Wi-Fi on their trains. And so uh, I rang up the Department for Transport and I got a statement from them which said that, well, Wi-Fi isn't very important for passengers, that actually um, people don't use it very much. Um, And they quoted uh, a transport focus uh, survey and uh, their their quote, not I don't think transport focuses. Their quote is: passenger surveys consistently show that on-train Wi-Fi is low on their list of priorities. So it is only right that we work with operators and review whether the current service delivers the best value for money. And the the, the survey they quoted from Transport Focus, they say, well. People found that uh, value for money for ticket prices, reliability, punctuality, personal security, all those other things were more important than Wi-Fi. And therefore, why actually continue spending the money uh, that uh, it costs uh, to uh, provide? They say that in many cases, the on-train Wi-Fi equipment is now in need of replacement or upgrade since the first equipment was installed in 2015 with corresponding implications for the commercial case. So in other words, it's all about saving money. But I think there's a bit of a story about why all this equipment dates to 2015, with which you're familiar, aren't you? Yes, I believe there was a a package of investment back in around 2015, 2016, which was an occasion when, uh, due to some underperformance by network rail during that particular control period, um, a £50 million fine was levied on network rail. And that was recycled back into what were described as passenger benefits. 
and it funded the rollout of the Wi-Fi, uh, passenger Wi-Fi, on those parts of the rail commuter network which didn't already have Wi-Fi installed. So it was seen then as a really tangible uh, passenger benefit as a kind of compensation for other areas of performance where, where customers had been let down by the rail industry. So it's a really quite extraordinary development. And I'm not surprised you had to say it there, Christian, two or three times over for it to even sound plausible that the Department for Transport would want to now turn off this passenger benefit. So, yeah, so in other words, we, the, 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 the passengers and taxpayers, have actually paid for this uh, already because that was a fine to Network Rail, which then Network Rail decided to spend on uh, commuter improving Wi-Fi and commuter services. Now, it's funny you should mention commuter services because a third part of the statement that they gave me said, in mitigation, many non-intercity journeys are relatively short durations and the usage of the on-train Wi-Fi has typically been low in preference to passengers using their mobile phone directly without connecting to the on-train Wi-Fi. Well, yes, but of course many passengers uh, don't uh, don't want to use up their data in that way, or they or they might not be able to get connection to their phone provider. And in, indeed, it's part of the service. As obviously in 2016, they recognised it was part of the service, and now they're saying, "Oh well, nobody much uses it." And of course, I, I'm sure you'll understand this, Mark. The, the big thing, why this gets me really kind of quite angry, is that. We're trying to get people to use the railways. We're trying to attract the commuters back onto it. What do people like doing on trains? They like to get their laptops out and their phones out and bash away a few emails or whatever their work they have to do. And if they can't get that reliably on uh, the train, they might then consider using their car, don't you think? Exactly. People are making marginal choices uh, about which transport mode to use and anything that you do which reduces that marginal attractiveness of the rail service must be distinctly questionable from any kind of marketing or commercial point of view. So we, but also as I understand uh, the, the, the position, uh, Christian, because the connectivity that's provided by the um, mobile uh, kind of Wi-Fi type systems on trains is now so important operationally the department is not proposing to turn off the systems entirely they're simply proposing to turn off the systems insofar as they provide a passenger benefit in the form of uh, wi-fi connectivity so those systems which they claim are obsolete will still be there and still functioning but simply be inaccessible to the passengers who've paid for them and they'll probably still need to be uh, renewed when the, the, the time comes. So Absolutely. They won't save much capital costs. They'll save, save a, a, a bit of data usage. But, yeah, um, I think Mark Harper, the transport secretary, is an accountant. And I think this is a typical accountant's view of the world that, oh, there's a cost somewhere. Um, and, um, you know, we don't really know if it kind of does anything. So let's cut that cost. And... Anybody who knows anything about the railways, goes on any train at all, will see that, you know, everybody is on their devices and they want a continuous signal. And as I've emphasized already, you know, there's tunnels and dead spots and 
you know, I think even leaving King's Cross, actually, going north, there's there's a dead spot for a few minutes, kind of, uh, before you get to, to Welling, I think, and as well as, of course, being a tunnel there. And, and that's just repeated kind of in many places around the network. And it's just, it's so illustrative of the wrong type of thinking, of, of, the, of the idea that everything to do with the railway is a cost, um, and, uh, you know, you can't do anything about that. So all you're trying to do is save costs and not actually trying to attract more people onto it so that you actually reduce the amount of subsidy. It's such a narrow view of the world. I can't really believe they'll see this through once this becomes public. And clearly it hasn't yet. And, uh, you know, this is our exclusive. Absolutely. And uh, and let's hope that the rail operators, those those commercial organizations will be brave enough to speak up on behalf of their customers and of their industry and defend this very important aspect of the quality of passenger rail services in Great Britain. Well, I have put through a call to uh, the rail delivery group, but um, they said they didn't know anything about it and they've come back to me in a couple of days. Uh, I'm sure they're deeply embarrassed about this and I'm sure that the train operating companies, if they were ever to regain any part of the revenue risk. In other words, if they were to, to start kind of uh, being reliant on boosting numbers using the railways in order to uh, get their income, I suspect they would be dead against this. But anyway, let's hope that uh, by making a fuss about it, uh, people will stop this ridiculous measure. They seek it here, they seek it there. They seek it everywhere. Christian, what is the status of Great British Railways? Well, you know, it was dead, it was alive, it was then dead again, and maybe it's alive again, just to recap. So GBR was created by uh, Boris Johnson uh, and uh, following the Grant Shapps uh, Williams report, uh, Boris Johnson was very enthusiastic about the idea and it was going to be an all singing, all dancing affair, kind of running the railways, taking over network rail, um, letting out contracts and so on. And then uh, it seemed to go all very quiet and nothing much was happening after uh, the departure of Grant Shapps. And uh, it seemed that GBR was dead and it wasn't going to actually happen. And then it got revived when uh, the new Transport Secretary, Mark Harper, who was apparently reluctant about the idea initially, didn't really want a kind of state-owned organisation responsible for the railways, but realised that uh, it probably was uh, uh, necessary, uh, accepted the idea of it, um, as I say, somewhat reluctantly, and so did his number two rail minister, Hugh Merriman. And so then we got lots of uh, information about the fact that, yes, this is going ahead. It's going to be an organization that will reform the fares. It will uh, be responsible for uh, network rail. It will let out contracts and, and so on. And in this very podcast, uh, we uh, in the last uh, edition, we did uh, an interview uh, with Anit Chandarana, who uh, is... Uh, the lead director of uh, Great British Railways transition team. God, that's a mouthful. Um, and he uh, was clearly a bit worried about whether there would be legislation 
um, and uh, you know, clearly expressed some doubts about whether there would be time in the King's speech to do it and was actually very keen that there should be legislation because without the legislation, Great British Railways cannot actually let out the contracts. They would still have to be done by the Department of Transport, and that would be very messy. Um, and then we see in a report in the Times and followed up in other newspapers a, a couple of days ago that uh, Great British Railways was dead again and that uh, it uh, was not going to happen, uh, that there would be no time in the King's speech, um, that uh, you know it, it would have been be quietly shelved. But then we get a counter uh, report from the Department of Transport saying, no, 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 it's not dead, it's alive. Uh, of course, it has to battle for other legislation, and we're not sure there'll be legislation, but Great British Railways is uh, you know, alive and breathing, and we're proceeding with plans to reform the railways. Although it didn't actually say in that statement that uh, it definitely would be through the agency of Great British Railways. It just said that reform is happening. It didn't really express uh, uh, or give any details as to how that would happen. So, you know, where are we, Mark? I mean, one of the things I find most frustrating about all of this is the, is the cover story uh, that's deployed of the lack of parliamentary time because that really is complete nonsense. And governments can always find time for the legislation that they really want to see enacted. And, and, and I think they're treating uh, people as, as fools to, uh, to try to use that, uh, that defensive line. Um, and in fact, um, this piece of legislation would probably be quite modest uh, compared to the railway legislation of 1993. Uh, which created much of the, of the present structure. So what we're really coming back to, Christian, is this question of whether the government collectively in the UK wants to proceed with this particular reform model or it doesn't. And it, it seems pretty clear that there's still an argument going on as to whether they really do. Yes, and um, I mean, they've said that, well, we don't need legislation, for example, to... Uh, reform the fair system but you know they could do this at any time i mean where's the reform the... then is my question where is it absolutely yes where is what 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 is the reform that they're they're, they're trying to do if if you know older listeners will remember that this all started five years ago with the may 2018 timetable which uh was a, a massive kind of uh uh, a, a cock-up is the only word I think one can say to it, uh, because uh, the, the the timetable that they were trying to bring about and had agreed with the train operators could not be delivered by network rail, and nobody had kind of sorted out that that out. So they said, well, we need an integrated railway that, that brings the infrastructure in together with uh, the train operators, something that I've always argued is, is totally necessary, and most railway people do. But uh, we're nowhere nearer that than we were uh, five years ago. And, and all the stuff that they could do around the edges, uh, like uh, affairs reform, like kind of trying to uh, simplify uh, the relations between the operators and network rail, trying to bring it more together under one roof, getting them to talk to each other, none of that seems to, to have happened. And 
Do you know that Great British Railways, as of the end of last year, had spent more than £50 million in, in creating itself? Um, and, you know, to be honest, we haven't seen much for that money. No, and indeed, I think there was a parliamentary answer this week that said the budget allocated for the reform programme is somewhere in the region of £200 million. So we could get quite a lot of uh, other improvements to the network for £200 million, uh, couldn't we, rather than um, being spent in this way. I also find it astonishing that um, we're, we're told two years after the publication of the reform proposals that the all of the, the clever people working on this have still not managed to draw up a single profit and loss account for the rail industry, which they said was one of the uh, requirements for the, the reform process to sort of be able to clearly understand what money goes into the industry uh, in terms of uh, subsidies and, and, and fare box and what money goes out of it in terms of costs. And I would have thought that there is um, probably enough financial management software in the world to have been able to have done that by 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 now uh, indeed that was specifically mentioned by mark harper uh, in his uh, uh, now famous uh, bradshaw lecture um and that was uh, now uh, 3 months ago um and uh, you know anybody with any nous uh, should be able to work out uh, how to do that and how to 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 bring uh, the two bits together. I think and, you could do it with post-it notes, actually, Christian. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and a whiteboard. And, yeah. and the whole point is, I think that links up with our first story about uh, the, the Wi-Fi, uh, because if, if somebody was in control of uh, the profit and loss account and, and looked at it as a whole, they would be able to work, make decisions like over Wi-Fi, over passenger uh, improvements, you know, and, and they just... Uh, seem seem uh, despite this vast amounts of money. I, I mean, it's probably costing you know half a million or a million pounds a week in terms of uh, drawing up this Great British Railways, and we see nothing coming from it. So, um, you know, I I I, I mean, I'm at a loss to understand how uh, they can be so slow. I'm sure if we got, you know, you and I know quite a lot of very good people in the rail industry. If we got half a dozen of them together. Um, in a room for a week, I'm sure we could come up with a pretty good blueprint of what the railways ought to look like. There's a challenge for us, perhaps something Absolutely. we ought to be picking up. I think one area that uh, where there is some uh, positivity, though, were, there are a number, to be fair. Uh, one is that there is very strong evidence of, of passengers returning to the railways back to pre-pandemic levels or even higher than pre-pandemic levels in some cases. Um, there's also um, uh, tremendous uh, growth of leisure travel for rail. But it's interesting that we see in Scotland uh, in particular some quite dynamic initiatives there to promote rail growth. Yes, it's exactly the sort of thing uh, that you and I have uh, personally discussed in, in the past is, is to try and implement some uh, basic fares that were easily uh, commercially uh, advertisable um, and comprehensible for the public. So in, in Scotland, they're now saying that if you join their, their over 50 club, um, you can then uh, travel anywhere in Scotland for just £15 um, and, uh, and, and return by the end of, of June on the same, for the same price. And now that's exactly what you need in terms of 
bringing people back into the rails or getting them to uh, come to the railways for the first time. I mean, what, one of the ideas that I think you've had, for example, is to say, well, why not cap all fares at £100? Just any any journey within the UK could be £100 uh, at the absolute most. Um, and uh, I, I think that sort of initiative, which would be very easy to publicise, very easy to uh, kind of... Uh, demonstrate the, the simplicity of it uh, would uh, reap dividends and probably pay for itself. I mean, in Germany, they've now got this uh, 49 uh, euro monthly pass, um, which has been implemented following their, their initial kind of nine euro emergency pass. But so 40, for 49 euros, you can travel pretty much uh, anywhere in Germany, both on local and regional and national It's astonishing, networks. isn't it? Absolutely astonishing and, offer that. I know. I know, and and yet we do not have the imagination to do that. Here's Christian's final thought from the Departure Lounge. Well, we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about the problems of uh, Britain's railways. And I've been spending uh, two or three weeks uh, in Italy, in Umbria, and there's a story that uh, of the local railway route that uh, illustrates that how problems are not unique. There's this line that runs between the town of Perugia and San Sepulcro, which is about kind of 40 miles. And it's a little single track line uh, separate from the rest of uh, the Italian rail network funded by the local Umbrian region. And uh, it used to be electrified, but somehow, I don't know, the, 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 became, the electrical equipment became redundant. And so it has little two-car diesel trains that kind of go up and down. It would be a very useful railway if it had more frequent trains and so on. But anyway, it's uh, you know, a nice ride into the major town, Perugia. And a few years ago, I attended a ceremony because uh, I happened to be here. Uh, at the time when they were uh, introducing new uh, electric trains and they put up some new catenary, some new uh, electric wires, and they brought in these new trains and there's, uh, there's about four or five of them. And this was about seven or eight years ago. And those trains have never run. They sit at a station in the middle of the line called Umbertide um, and they just gather lots of graffiti on them they are sort of, you know, streamlined three-car diesel trains that, uh, sorry, electric trains that would clearly kind of go up and down the line much faster than the, uh, the, the towable little diesels. And yet somehow they've never been put into use, despite the fact that there's new catenary, um, new trains, but somehow they've never operated. I can't get to the bottom of why, but, you know, I can't imagine that happening in the UK somehow, even despite uh, the dysfunctional nature of our railways. Calling All Stations with Christian Walmart is a Cogitamus Limited production. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating with whichever platform you use. Do follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at all stations pod.